Hello, dear friends, and welcome to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Today, a history you might not be aware of. My guest is Aviva Kempner. She's a child of Holocaust survivors, and her family inspired her to produce her first documentary, Partisans of Vilna, back in 1986, story of Jewish resistance to the Nazis. Aviva has gone on to write, direct, and produce several films about underknown Jewish heroes, as she calls them. The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg back in 2000, the story of the first true Jewish baseball star and an amazing man. That won a Peabody Award. She directed Yuhu, Mrs. Goldberg, about Gertrude Berg, who received the first Best Actress Emmy in history and was an inspiration for women in media and entertainment. Then she released Rosenwald in 2015, a documentary about businessman and philanthropist Julius Rosenwald, who partnered with Booker T. Washington to help build over 5,000 schools in the South. Her latest is a project we're going to be talking about today. It's called The Spy Behind Home Plate, and it's about Mo Berg, best remembered as the catcher who was a spy. To give you a sense of what this incredible film is about, let's listen to the trailer, shall we? Whenever you're talking about anything with Mo Berg, the first thing you have to understand is it's going to be complicated. It's a hell of a story. He loved being a mystery. Mo Burke was a terrific athlete. Mo would disappear after games. He was very charming. The girls would go gaga. He was a loner who wanted to experience the world and found a way to do it. Who is this guy who can do all of this? He was smart and he was funny. Casey Stengel said he could speak seven languages and couldn't hit in any of them. Brain and brawn really does make Mo Berg the ultimate Jewish athlete. Mo Berg was very aware that peace was going to be disrupted in the world. The catcher has to have that bird's eye view. Was he doing intelligence work while he was still in baseball? He's assessing what's in front of him, where the base runners are, how fast they are, what scores, what inning is it, who's pitching, what's his stuff, who's up. What can he hit? What can't he hit? How do we win the game? Here's a guy who went to Princeton, Columbia, spoke many languages, was a professional baseball player. I mean, he wasn't really, you would have had to invent him. Germany got a big head start on building an atomic bomb. And it was very obvious that if anybody could ever unlock this great secret, they'd control the world. The OSS had given the Manhattan Project its own spy, and that was Mo Berg. It had to be about as dangerous a job as a fellow could undertake. He went behind the lines in a war where a man's life isn't worth two cents, you know. I think it takes a great patriot to do something like that. Mo Berg's father never went to see him play a single game. But Mo Berg said he'd rather be a baseball player than be a Supreme Court justice. What he wound up being is an American hero. And now Aviva Kempner, the founder and executive director of the Chesla Foundation. And my first request of you, Aviva, is to talk a little bit about the foundation and its mission. Right. For 40 years, I've been making uh, films about underknown Jewish heroes. And it's a 501c3, my Chesla Foundation. And it's named after my grandparents and my late aunt, whose last name was Chesla. And they all perished in Auschwitz. So it's the way I keep their memory alive. And of course, as a child of a Holocaust survivor, I was very motivated to first make the film about Jews fighting Nazis, 
And then when I heard Hank Greenberg died, uh, the hero of my brother and mine in Detroit, I decided to make a film about him. And then it went on to Gertrude Berg and the Goldbergs. And then Rosenwald, who was yeah. the philanthropist who gave so much uh, and worked with African-American communities 100 years ago. And here I am to number three Berg named film. <laughs> three Bergs. Yes. Right, three Bergs. Goldberg, Greenberg, and Moberg. The story behind Home Plate, there's a website, storybehindhomeplate.org, and I'll tell you, I saw it at the Museum of Fine Arts in a wonderful preview presentation and was blown away. And I got to tell you that I am a Bostonian, and I know a bit about Moberg, probably more than the average Joe, and I'll explain in detail as we go along here, but I was fascinated by the story. What first appealed to you? When did you first get word? that Mo would be a great subject. Well, you know, I always knew about him. As a matter of fact, in my house, I have three wall hangings made out of hook rugs, the, what I call the Jewish battery. It's Moberg catching. <laughs> they're they're, they're life-size, by the way. Okay. Um, Hank Greenberg hitting and Sandy Koufax pitching, of although course. they never all faced each other. Um, and there was a funder of mine uh, a minor finder, a funder named Bill Levine, and he came to me. He had always loved my Hank Greenberg film, and he said, Aviva, go make a film about Sid Luckman. And it was a Jewish football player, and I yeah. said, I don't like football. And he said, Aviva, go make a film about Barney Ross. And I said, I hate boxing more, also a Jewish boxer. <laughs> then he said, how about Moberg? And the third was a charm. You know, I, it combined a spying, a Jewish hero, an intellectual and spying against the Nazis, because quite frankly, we wouldn't be talking if the Germans had succeeded before we did mm. America in developing a bomb or, you know, and, you know, you can only imagine what a nuclear bomb would have meant in Hitler's hands. Let me tell you my connection. You know, sure. because I believe you chatted with him prior to the film, a gentleman named Ken Gloss from the Brattle Bookstore in right. Boston. And I, Ken and I do a podcast together called The Brattlecast. But Ken, his dad, George, knew Mo quite well. And it makes sense because Mo was always reading and always at the store, you know, visiting and schmoozing and picking up books and so forth. My inside baseball story of Mo Berg. Yeah, and at one point I had talked to him about interviewing him, but I just never got up there in Boston, so I have to make sure, we have to make sure he, he sees the film. He's but, going um, to, to see the oh, film. Great. He's excited. He's got his tickets. So let's let's back up a little bit and talk about the other films in general and about your style. It really is storytelling at its finest. Where does this come from? I know you're a student of film, but where does this start for you, Aviva? Well, actually, I, I really didn't go to film school. It was just this inspiration. I tease, you have a lot of lawyers there in Boston. I, I actually went to law school, and I have an urban planning degree, mm -hmm. but I always say it's my psych degree that helps me most of all. I just had this epiphany, especially when I didn't pass the bar. I had done immigration work in law school, did very well in law school. I just don't do well in multiple choice questions. <laughs> I also buried my father who had moved to Israel on, on the day I was supposed to graduate from law school, and I just decided I had to go make a film about Jews fighting Nazis, and that was the first film I made. I didn't direct it, but I learned from directing from Joshua Lutsky, who did. And from there on, I decided, you know, sometimes they tease on the Jewish Spike Lee that I just mm. needed to make films about my people, you know, history. And especially since there had been so much death and destruction in my own family that I wanted to make positive stories about underknown Jewish heroes. And the last um, 
you know, this is the fourth one that is an American story. So, mm. you know, I'm an immigrant. I came here, so I'm happy to talk about those stories. And all of them also reflect, you know, although I'm an immigrant, the other three all were children of immigrants. And, you know, we talk a lot about not letting immigrants in this country, but really Mosul's story and also the man who, who ran the OSS operations in Italy, that was our intelligence of service during World War II, they were all children of immigrants, or actually Korva himself was an immigrant, and it's because they knew the language and the customs, and, you know, God forbid we get into other wars, it's really those people with the knowledge yes. of, as we say, the old country, that really make the difference, to be able to infiltrate societies and come back with reports or just understand what's happening in data. What's interesting about the film, fascinating to me, is the fact that you were able to dig through archival interviews done many, many years ago, unfortunately with people who are long gone, but it they come alive again in this film, and they yeah. have to, don't they, to make the story complete. Yeah, what we're really lucky is 30 years ago, two gentlemen, Neil Goldstein and Jerry Feldman, were trying to make a film about Mo. And the a film fell apart, but Feldman, who is the cameraman, had been my cameraman for Hank Greenberg in in L.A. So I knew about the project, you know, that they had almost done the film. And uh, Neil had um, deposited all the interviews at um, Princeton, and I paid for the transferring them, digitizing them, and 18 of those interviews we used. So, you know, you have people like Don DiMaggio, who played for the Red Sox, Ed Colby, who was in the OSS and later headed the CIA. Without those interviews of those who spied and played with Mo, it would have been a very different film and not Mm -hmm. as rich and as detailed. The man himself, as a ball player, they they said he was a great catcher defensively, had issues with hitting. But actually, as you point out in the film, it was it was an injury that really caused him to slump a bit in the in terms of the yeah. play. Well, first of all, his 15 years in the major league, he hit 243. That's not bad for utility. He'd be making several hundred million dollars a year, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Actually, uh, Arch Shemansky was on a panel with me the other day reacting to the film. He said exactly the same thing. Uh, the joke was he spoke 10 languages and couldn't hit in all of them. But usually you don't count on your catcher to be hitting. You count on them sort of being the quarterback of the team. Right. And Mo just fit that perfectly. He was a brilliant man. He was astute. Uh, he really worked well with the players. And, you know, he then turned out to be two years after five years as a player being a coach with the Red Sox. And one could only think that if the war hadn't come, he would have gone off to be a coach for years Mm. and probably morphed into being a manager because a lot of catchers become managers, including Brad Osmos, who's in the film. And I chose him because he was Jewish. He went to Dartmouth, also an Ivy Leaguer. You know, Mo was uh, on, you know, played ball since he was a little boy, but he was a star in Princeton when he was there. Aviva, the the story is is so multifaceted and layered, and uh, let's just talk briefly about the family story and about his father, who was an immigrant, really didn't accept baseball at all and and was not very supportive of Mo at all, which had to be difficult. I think that's the saddest story, that all those years Mo played as a child, in high school he played, although one could say he was already sort of preparing his way to be a spy. He used a pseudonym to play on a Christian team. Mm. Um, and then certainly a star in Princeton, 15 years, his father refused to go to any game. Any and, game. You know, That's right. Any game. 
because the reason I love baseball and even this whole thing, you know, doing Jewish um, heroes was from my father. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I finished this film, oh, The Spy Behind Home Plate, the 43rd anniversary of my dad's passing. Mm. He never even saw me, um, any of my films, but he certainly inspired me. And of course, my mother, who was an artist, and my stepfather was a historian. So right. the com- combination of those three makes me, you know, the filmmaker I am today. Right. Uh, baseball, though, is a passion for you. And you, you talked about football and boxing. Not so much. Baseball is a passion. And I love the footage that we were able to see in this film. Just talk briefly about the process, because people think documentaries are easy because you just take old photos and put them together. Right. Oh, no, it's no. a huge, we, um, huge undertaking. Well, a lot of his uh, archives were at the New York Public Library, Princeton, Columbia Law School, where he had gone. The OSS archives more and more being declassified, so it was really a perfect time to make the film. You know, his relatives had photographs. There's no, as we say, stone unturned. And then also the other people who are in the film, especially people whose relatives were in the OSS. You know, they're um, you just and then and then combing the archives, and especially when you hear stories or it's been written that he parachuted with Tito and fought with him. We found nothing in the OSS archives. And then there was something at the National Archives that said, here's Moberg with Cheeto. And we went and looked at it. It wasn't Mo. And it, the, the dude was smoking, and Mo never smoked, although I wouldn't put it past him to have been, um, you know, smoking as a disguise. Right. But, in fact, it wasn't him. So, you know, those are, you're, you're, you're given certain certain things are written that aren't true, and then you just have to make sure that there's a proof to to justify it all. The story itself, though, is so remarkably interesting, it sounds like you made it up. And let's talk about two aspects. The Japanese experience prior to the war, obviously, where he's over there playing baseball with Babe Ruth and others on a goodwill tour, and he's taking photographs that, for all intents and purposes, would help us later in the, the war effort. Actually, he's taking footage. Footage, yes. Um, in 34, there was like sort of a last-ditch attempt to have an exchange with America and Japan by sending our all-star team. And I mean all-star. You have people like Babe Ruth, Lou Gehring, uh, Gehringer, uh, Lefty Goldman, uh, Jimmy Fox, and Mo. The last minute, another catcher couldn't do it, and they sent Mo. And maybe part of the reason was that two years earlier, he had gone with Lefty Duel and some others to do like a teaching trip to Japan, and he had already learned some of the customs and the language. So he's on this trip, and he had a letter from an ambassador to introduce him to people. But I think more on his own volition, he took footage of the... Tokyo skyline under a roof, and I want to get people in the movie so they can see. It's pretty clever the way he did it. Mm. And that footage, and also the other footage that the other players were taken, because back then, cameras were really, you know, um, the rave that people would get them. And it's great footage. I'm just so grateful to the Gomez family. Mm-hmm. And Renona, Lefty's daughter, talks about it. And she's meeting me. Uh, I'm opening up the film. Today we're talking on Thursday, but I'm opening up the film tomorrow in New York. Um, you know, earlier than in Boston. Um, and, you know, for all you Red Sox fans, I'll never forget, just when I was finishing Hank Greenberg, is when the Red Sox came from behind and beat the Yankees. That was the most glorious series. I remember we would edit during the day, and my editor and I 
would watch the games at night. So well, don't tell my Tiger fans. But no, my no, 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 no. Team is a is a Red Sox. I no. live in Washington, <laughs> so I'm still a Nats fan. I love the the Hank Greenberg film is still is one of my favorite docs of all time because I didn't know enough about Hank Greenberg going in. I knew more about Mo Berg going in, but uh, what a brilliant film for people who haven't seen it. Please rush to see it. But let's talk about the other aspect of the war effort, the connection that uh, Mo has in Germany, going overseas as a Jew, as a spy, and connecting with a man by the name of Heisenberg, a very important right. figure. Um, well, you know, the Manhattan Project was on. We were secretly developing the bomb to try to end the war. Not even Roosevelt didn't even uh, brief Truman on it. And the Manhattan Project, run by Groves and Oppenheimer, had someone in the OSS who was their nuclear spy, and that was Melbourne. So first he went into Italy after Italy was liberated or just liberated, finding out um, what the Italian scientists there knew what Heisenberg, who was the one remaining physicist in Germany who had the capability to make a bomb. Although the irony is a lot of the other nuclear physicists who knew about it, you know, how to make the bomb, including Einstein, were Jewish. So they had fled Germany, of course. Um, And Mo got privy to the fact of where Heisenberg was, and then they heard that he's coming to a lecture in Zurich. And he was sent on this mission with a gun and a cyanide in his pocket to assassinate Heisenberg if in his lecture he talked at all knowing about the bomb. But I don't want to say any more because I want people to go to the movie. Uh, yes, and, and, and needless, but, needless to say, Aviva, uh, it, it takes a great courage and also a sense of sacrifice because... Uh, well, because you're American and you're Jewish and you're a male, so you could be discovered at any minute. Right, right. And, you know, and then the minute they put together who you really are, it, it would have been horrendous. And the follow-up to all of this is the fact that prior to your film and knowledge about Mo that's well after his death, he was not one to talk to folks at cocktail parties about any of this, was he? Right. Um, Lyra Burkow, who met him oftentimes in the press press box, because what Mo did have upon returning to America was a pass to any game he wanted to do. As a matter of fact, allegedly, just before he died, he said, how did the Mets do today? In any event, um, when anyone would ever ask him, as Iris says in the film, oh, what did you, um, you know, what did you do during the war? He would take his finger up to his mouth and says, shh, right. don't talk about <laughs> it. Now, so um, wow. this is, I'm trying to release the shh. And actually, in the bonus features, I hope to have a, a DVD ready by the end of the year, just in time for Christmas and Hanukkah. He, in fact, um, sat down to, in a press, uh, he sat down with a publicist or was a, a publisher or someone mm-hmm. uh, who was interested in doing a biography. He said, okay, maybe I'll do it. He sits down with him. But the man was totally ill-informed. And said to him, "Well, tell me what it means to be Mo in the Three Stooges." Oh. And been briefed on who he's going to meet. Oh my goodness, my goodness! Well, the beauty of your films and documentarians such as you is that you're teaching and entertaining at the same time. I learned a heck of a lot, 
and thought the movie was as dramatic as any on-screen film fictional version. I really love it, and I urge people to see it. And I know you got this question at the Q&A at the Museum of Fine Arts, but uh, who's on your target list for another uh, subject, if there is one right. at this moment? Uh, well, if you had asked me at 21, Aviva, you're going to be doing three sports films, I would have said, you're crazy. But it's about the insidious use of Native American imagery. And I'm working with uh, several other filmmakers to really, uh, hopefully, expose and, and cover the movement to get rid of these insulting images, especially starting with the Washington football team. Where you live, and, right? Where you reside. Which in, is where I live. Right, and then right. I also want to do a short on how when they built the Capitol, they never envisioned that women would be senators or congresspeople. And they, quite frankly, did not build enough bathrooms. And there was a movement afoot to increase you know, the number of female bathrooms as more and more female senators emerged in the past. And now there's like a movement on the house side to, uh, I think, more about facilities uh, for nursing uh, kids. And uh, in honor of next year where we finally gained the vote and the possibility of a female president or a female vice president, I'm making this short and I'm calling it pissed off. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm done with that. That's fine. Hey, you know what? It'll get a lot of attention. I want to thank you for taking a little time to share with us a little bit of the story behind sp the Spy Behind Home Plate, and that is the website spybehindhomeplate.org, and also to tell us about the Chesla Foundation and all the work you're doing, and certainly congratulate you on a job well done. I, I know a little bit about filmmaking and how arduous it is, so well, well done, thanks. Aviva. And to know other places, hopefully it's still playing by the time... Uh, this airs, go to spybehindhomeplate.org, and I hope I see you uh, at the Kendall. I'll be there the opening weekend speaking. That's June 29th and 30th at the Kendall Theater in right. Cambridge. And, yeah, uh, because first I'm showing the film at the Sabre Conference in San Diego. That's for baseball people. They know mm -hmm. what that means. <laughs> Aviva, thank you so much and continued success. Okay, thanks a lot. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good. <laughs>